So in cultivation, it's Dhamma practice, Dhamma, the word we use for the teachings, the meaning, the way, the way to the way to the end of suffering, way to the end of stress. Dhamma refers to a sense of a, uh, a kind of fulfilled order or balance or harmony you know, where there's no push and no pull things are steady and held carefully without anybody holding them things come into balance the mind is in harmony there's a sense of release of anxiety, stress, regret irritation and so forth the mind isn't jumping around it's definitely this is a very profitable thing to attempt, cultivate, uh, and uh, this. So this encompasses everything we do. So if we're living with a sense of morality, it's a sense of harmony with other beings because we're not abusing them. Harmony with our bodies because we're not abusing them with intoxicants. Harmony of their energies. We're not just using sexual energy in a, in a careless way. So we're in harmony with our minds because our minds aren't just jumping out irresponsibly. So it's, with that sense of coming to harmony with with through integrity and morality, we begin to make a firm uh, foothold on practice of dharma. It's something to recognise and to. Uh, reflect upon and get the quality the tonal quality to quality of integrity and virtue it's bright, it's upright there's firmness it's not harsh or judgmental or righteous because it's actually sensing and in harmony with the world around it's not an abstract sense of principles it's living in harmony with the world around you on this sensory sensory plane. Because it's relational, that gives it the harmony. If you have as an abstraction, you start to get into ideas about who's more moral and exactly how refined and this kind of thing. It becomes a law. But it's not a law, it's a training. <laughs> so you keep coming back to it just like you lose balance and pull yourself upright again where was that so a lot of this is requires a lot of self-reference or reference to the mind reference to the heart the Buddhist word is chitta for this reference to the chitta which is the effective sensitive aspect of mind it's not the thinking mind it's the receptive sensitive and intuitive and imaginative qualities and openness has an energy to it and referring, how is this, how is that, how is this, how is that. This is the primary um, introduction, you might say, of cultivation, because you can't cultivate anything unless you keep checking, cross-referencing, if you're cooking a meal. You've got to keep checking and tasting, and how is this, and how is that, that's about right. If you're carving a piece of wood, you've got to keep checking, what's this wood capable of, when will it splinter, how much pressure do you need, Um, where's the grain, if you're using paint, you have to know what the pigments will do and what the canvas or the paper will do. So you're, you're referencing. But with Dhamma practice, mostly you're referencing 
what's happening in my own heart when I do this, what's happening in my chitta, what's my attitude. And so this this is where it's an inner cultivation, it's a cultivation in reference to moving, standing, sitting, eating, walking around, seeing things, seeing people. What's happening? Checking this out. And we learn. This is where the agitation begins or the you know, the mind starts jumping around. And then referring back to the simple bodily presence, this is stable. It's not rigid. It's not intense, it's not abstract, it's a definite organic fluid structure. Coming back into that with its breathing and its mobility and its softness. This is a soft but firm center. You keep referring back to that. It gets you out of the you know the projections, the mental energies, it rushes out, you come back to this. This function of uh, reference um, is called deep attention. Well, one aspect, deep attention, uh, Pali word Yoni Manasikara. For those of you who are more specialized in this kind of field, it means attention, which is Manasikara, that goes to the origin of things. Yoni saw the Yoni, the origin, the source. So, how is that affecting, where is this coming from, where am I coming from with this, what's the attitude, and how is this touching the source of my being, which is in heart, this, so we're checking that out. So when we cultivate morality, you know, we're referring to um, heart, and do my actions come forth with a harsh intention, or a, a manipulative or dismissive, that yeah, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Abusive, greedy. Mm-hmm. It's not beautiful. When you refer these back to your heart, these are not beautiful. And you can have beautiful qualities such as kindness, generosity, honesty, carefulness, respect. These are beautiful qualities when you resound these. And your heart feels bright. So this is integrity not just as obedience to laws, but as taking your heart seriously. It means you don't really want to you know, contaminate the source of potential purity and beauty with you know, careless, deceitful, manipulative uh, or abusive qualities. And some of these begin just with that casual shrugging off. Ah, it doesn't really matter. No, oh, well, you know, a lot of people don't act with deliberate malevolence, or but there's just can be a sense of just, ah, oh, well, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Everybody does that. It's scruples, just push them aside. It's not entirely the truth, but it's good enough. Push it aside. Yeah. What I'm saying isn't exactly true, but it's it's a bit of an exaggeration. But never mind, you know. No, no, there's a better, you can get finer than that. <laughs> you know, be careful of your speech. This is here we're really training and refraining from speech because speech is one of the most con- contaminated qualities. Not because we learn it 
from the media. <laughs> you know, pick up the language from the newspapers, right? <laughs> the TV, the radio, internet. And what are they saying? You know, stories are often extremely exaggerated uh, stories, uh, harsh tones, uh, salacious rumors, and you're kind of picking it in this kind of rather grubby field. <laughs> And you pick up these these qualities, and your language starts to get tainted with these these things. Yeah, and you find you're stereotyping people because that's what media does and politics does. So it's a sentient being, whatever the size, shape, gender, color, respect, feels pain, feels sorrow, feels grief, feels joy. Respect, whatever it is, respect. Don't don't direct, you know, unwholesome intentions that way. This is the self-reference of of integrity. One function of deep attention is to keep referring that to when you're slightly going off a bit. Certainly, you know, when you look at the media, you get pretty angry politicians doing this and this person been found out to be corrupt and you know he sequestered five billion rand or something <laughs> you feel quite enraged but but that isn't going to do you any good and it isn't, isn't going to affect him either so it's, okay that's his problem mm-hmm. don't have to contaminate ourselves with other people's foolishness So when we come to retreat, we value that those standards and we reflect upon them, we attune them and we refine them. So you're not even wishing to harm an ant or a slug or a little flying creature, however annoying it is, because you don't want to have that violent tendency to give it any, any leeway. You know, because it doesn't matter. It's only a, it doesn't really matter. Fly, annoying thing. Really matter. Mm-hmm. Mouse, trap, doesn't really matter. Chicken, cut his head off, doesn't really matter. Sheep, cut its throat, doesn't really matter. You know, deer, antelope, shoot it, hunting, doesn't really matter. Who's next? <laughs> <laughs> bad guy, shoot him, doesn't really matter, he's a bad guy anyway. <laughs> Who's who's next? Japanese or Germans or something, they don't really matter either. Bang, bang. (laughs) You know, where does it go? Because, you know, this is how what happens once we tolerate the quality of violence, you start to open a track, a pathway for the mind to run down. This is called karma. Yeah, karma. It means you open a particular track called a sankara, which means something that that becomes a habitual direction of your mental energy. You get touched in a certain way, the violence shoots out. She said a bad word to me, violence. I'm not gonna physically hit her, but I'm gonna shoot back some sharp words at her. Hmm? So that is it doesn't obviously physical violence, it could be verbal violence or even mental violence, like 
stupid you slap you lazy so-and-so slap or even in fact yourself idiot slap <laughs> we've opened up a, that channel yeah, the channel is the same kind it just flicks anywhere you her them and back to yourself idiot slap slap lazy slap slap you know wow you know? and you realize these are like these are like demons you know, and first of all, you, you willingly contribute, and then eventually take hold. And then they do it to you. Uh, we don't believe in angels, maybe you don't believe in angels and demons, but this is what they are, <laughs> really. You know, they're not creatures with little horns. They're psychological and, um, and emotional energies that run out with abuse. And the thing is, you think, first of all, you know, you may first of all have a choice, but then if, after a while you lose the choice, it just starts whipping around. It goes into the past. You beat up somebody in the past. You criticize somebody five years ago. You point at the person living next door. Then you point at yourself. Or it points at you. It says, you're such a critical, irritating so-and-so. Slap, slap, slap. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this this kind of Sankara demon, uh, there are several of us. He put down that tendency and take it seriously because this one will do you harm. It has no measure. It has no it has no limit to the range. And same with um, deceit. You know, in the suttas it said, someone who tells a deliberate lie. There is no evil they will not do. It's a bit intense. But, <laughs> you know, it's when the mind no longer really knows what truth is. Because the, the, the non-truth is the easiest way to go. And you can certainly see, frankly, I think some political leaders and you can fill in the blanks have become professional liars I don't, you know to lie is the most immediate response to deceive or to manipulate or to prevaricate or to not be, give a straight honest, open response and these are people who sold their speech to demons for the sake of gain and power and status what would you like to live with somebody like that who you, you knew you could never rely on what they say? Yeah? Where would you, how would you feel about that? You never knew whether when they went out at night you never actually knew where they were going when they got back and they told you you couldn't trust where they'd been. How would that feel? Yeah. And when we, if we follow that, 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 that instinct to lie then in fact we're disrespecting the person we're talking to. We're actually giving them a non-truth. You see, a dis- disrespect it means, you know, what you think doesn't. I'm going to give you that. I don't. So we're losing the communion of truth, which is this beauty of speech is to commune in truth. You hear resonance of truthfulness, and also your heart is touched. 
and open by the clarity and the truthfulness. Even this saying it's not intellectually brilliant, you feel touched because it's heart to heart. And that's lost. Where are we? And then with people who do deceit, they start to cover up their deceit and prevaricate and so forth. So these are important things to just get a feeling for when you're tuning into that, that truthfulness quality. It's not just legal, it is really for one's own welfare, the brightness of heart. And we remember it. So there's a tonality, what I'm suggesting with all these things. As you give right reference, it's not just about towing a line, but actually tuning into a tonality of heart, which we call the upright. It's bright, it's unwavering, it has a rather agreeable tone to it. It's clean, it's clear, it's fresh. This is This is agreeable. Greed, the sticky, swarming tentacles of greed. <laughs> I know these well. Yeah. No, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Don't let that creepy greed take over. Yeah. More cookies, <laughs> whatever it is. Even something as innocent as a cookie or a cake or something like that. It's not being spartan or or ascetic, it's just recognizing enough is enough. enough. There's a sort of sense of enough is a very beautiful word to to get a feeling for. (laughs) Because in a quality, a feeling, a real sense of enough, you have a feeling of contentment and stability. I have enough. That's wonderful. I could think of a lot of other things I could have or do or taste or smell or places to go, but if I do that, my mind is, well, that, I could have that, or that would be rather nice. On the other hand, one of those would be good. I'd rather like the colour of that. But then that would be, you know, I could have that. Let's have both, indeed. I could have one on Monday, one on Thursday. Then on the other hand, save one up for later on. Make sure, in case that one goes wrong, we've got another one. I don't want to do that. (laughs) Just say, it's enough. It could be better, but this is enough. Settled. So with this deep attention, we're resonating those, those references such as that, and you feel this is rather an agreeable place to be. Rather an agreeable mental tone, heart tone to be at. So there's in morality, then we have uh, respect, creatures, other people I respect you so I want to tell you the truth I don't think you're some dumb idiot who I've got to manipulate and then when we come to retreat does say that the, the, the reference is appropriate appropriate for a retreat which is a group 
situation. So what's appropriate? This is not a matter of morality or even respect. It's something like what is appropriate for this particular scenario? You know, we've gathered together, so we have to, you know, have a cooperative sense and uh, recognize that's not always so easy because we have different energies and different bodies and different temperaments, but we'll be respectful and try to use occasions when we'll gather together. You know, I could go for a walk this morning. I could go for a walk this morning. Very nice. You know, it's been grey and cloudy where I've been for the last five months. <laughs> Sunshine. I can just go for a walk. Don't get on with it. Medi- you meditate, I'm going for a walk. Enjoy myself. No, no. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. You know, here. We should all kind of carry that sense. It's a, because this is our meeting place. And we have to come to listen to teachings, gather together, and commit ourselves. And that means a certain amount of renunciation, letting go of alternatives, letting go of choices. And there's two what's appropriate. There's things we say, well, that's not evil, but it's outside the boundary of what we're what is appropriate for uh, this particular five days session and there's a certain action that goes along with deep attention which is to say to discard that filter that out and stay with this the aim of this again is for firming up because for example I could think of many things I could possibly do today I could go around, I could take some nice photographs, I could go for a walk, I could sunbathe, I could go birding, get my sketchbook out, get to work on my book I'm writing and tiddle away with that. Those are all blameless behaviour, but appropriate. So I don't have to think about the things I could be doing because this is what I'm doing. And in the mind, okay, drop that, stay with that. It steadies. So that act, you can call it renunciation or relinquishment, and we have to learn this quality of relinquishing to provide the quality of firming, firmness, consolidating our energy. And if you live with respect to the situation, you recognize, well, if we all contribute to gathering together at appropriate times, then there's a group consolidation that supports each of us because I'm getting it from everybody else is doing it. It helps to brace me up as well. Everybody else is doing their own thing, then your sense of discipline starts to get more challenged. So it's a contribution to make. And this, this particular movement of letting go for the sake of firmness and consolidation of energy. Uh, This is a training because, of course, in ordinary life, that's not the case. Ordinary life, the case is to constantly, as best one can, to be searching for options, to find the best break, the best situation, the best deal. Certainly, I agree with you. That's the main street. That's the main thing. 
best deal, best time, best place, best restaurant, best coffee, best movie, best channel. You've got 600 or whatever it is. <laughs> Go on the internet, look for the best thing, best deals, best deals on the, on the, on the, you can buy from Amazon. Oh God. They say, oh, look fantastic. You review all the reviews and look at the stars and check the readings and go to another reference site. Oh, it's easy when there's just one store in town and say, this is all we got, take it or leave it. <laughs> Relieved of the burden of choice. <laughs> but of course, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the case. It's much more interesting to have all these various choices. And for sure, there's benefits. There are benefits, and there are disadvantages. Because <laughs> your mind's always ferreting around for the better. And you start to deal with people. This one's quite nice, but on the other hand, she's pretty good too. And she looks like she can cook well, but she talks too much. What about that one? I don't like her hair very much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'd, dang it, if I'd have waited longer, that one, I could have got that one who came later. <laughs> Looking for the perfect person, <laughs> and there isn't one. <laughs> so sometimes it's just bit with just that, that's the one that came through the door. Okay, fine. <laughs> so work with that. <laughs> work with what you get. <laughs> yeah. And there's a certain a simplicity to it, which is kind of a relief because the mind's not busy agitating. And then you, you've got, actually you've got to do some work. Yeah. Which means you've got to kind of be malleable to, okay, it wasn't, it didn't exactly hit the spot, but yeah, I can put that in my good enough place. <coughs> it's not hitting my five star, but three stars also, some, that's also acceptable <laughs> on the register. You know, any stars are good. <laughs> it didn't hurt me or kill me. That's good enough. <laughs> That's the pass mark. <laughs> and then any, any extra stars are, are like bonuses. This is like monasteries are like this. You say, well, it hasn't actually, it hasn't actually killed me today. But uh, <laughs> there was a few stars. And then you start to get patience, resilience. And it makes you really strong. This is great because then you can accept yourself and you're not always five star or four star or even one star. <laughs> even a no star person is to be state is to be accepted. Well that's where it is. What do we do with this? We develop a sense of equanimity kindness and how is this in the body okay I can bear with this feeling sick feeling a bit rotten but that's how it is now how do I flex my mind my attitudes around this looks like some compassion is needed here so deep attention what's appropriate a deep attention to the results 
of when the mind is busy picking and choosing and scurrying around, looking for the best option when it's just deciding this is what's happening, this is where we are, this is who I am, this is the state of body as it is now, here we are, that's it, enough, now work with it. What's needed? So in that quality of deep attention we begin to cultivate those filtering processes reference, appropriate, moral so you're shaping up and this allows the the theme of this it begins to allow the heart to respond because the busy mind isn't really allowing for the depth of the heart to arise you know from the depth of the heart to arise the busy mind is thinking of superficial like this, don't like that feel like this, feel like that fancy that, don't fancy that don't like the taste of that, this seems a bit weird you see these rather superficial reflex responses depth of the mind depth of the heart brings up qualities of goodwill courage Patience, compassion, uh, acceptance, serenity. Those are deep, deep processes in the heart. And these are the ones that could do us the most benefit, be for our greatest welfare. Because these will be there when the going's tough. And it is tough at times. These will be there there when we're sick, or dying, or in stress, or in bereavement. Those qualities are going to be our saviors. These are where the angels live. Demons are not on the surface. Angels are living in the depths. Mm-hmm. May sound kind of upside down, but that's the way it is. And uh, we're giving a chance for those qualities to arise. And uh, these qualities begin with a fundamental uh, tonality of heart tonality of, of practice now attention's a rather kind of seemingly factual process you notice something but it's never exactly factual attention is always uh, has a certain inclination in it you know, if you notice just even your visual attention out of a visual field that's quite wide ranging you only really see about focus on about 5, 10, 15 percent rather narrow within a wide sphere and why do you choose that bit? because that's the bit that's interesting me you know, I like, I, you know, I'm interested in wood or in carpeting or in textures of walls or in this person you know, she's my friend or my cousin or whatever, therefore I focus on I'm talking to her, so I'm interested in that so the interest underlying interest collects attention and sends it which way aware of what that intention is what the underlying intention is because if it's got a manipulative quality to it then we will tend to things that we can manipulate when an architect looks at a building he looks at the structures, the beams the walls and perhaps the situation when a burglar looks at a building he looks at the locks and the doors and the windows 
So what do they see? When you come into a building like this, what do you look at? What do you see? You see the space, you pick up the tone of the lighting, you get the sense of the rustic decor, feeling of naturalness, you see the light, but the subtlety of it, and the tonal quality that you, you attend to. You're not architects, you're not thieves, so you pick up the Oh, it's kind of natural, quiet, simple, peaceful, soft. Exactly. Exactly. That's why it's a meditation hall. Because it's a tonal quality. You want to pick up tonal quality. And your mind then is, is it being encouraged to attend not just the, the pure visual nature of things, or the physical nature of things, but the tonal qualities, what something feels like. Why things are always kind of like small lights and soft lights and gentle sounds, because it's encouraging a particular tone of gentleness and sensitivity, not harsh and it's slow, nothing fast moving, to encourage a tonality of take your time, take your time. It's not an order, it's a tone. But the beautiful thing is that the mind, the chitta, the heart, will follow tones much more easily and intuitively than it will follow orders. Basically, as far as I can make out, my mind never follows orders. (laughs) (laughs) It may kind of grudgingly obey with a sign of slightly more, right? He doesn't follow it. <laughs> oh, he doesn't immediately. Oh, yes, he goes all oh, right. And that's not following. That's being marched, <laughs> frog marched in. Uh, so the heart naturally tonality. Oh, yes, oh, beautiful. All right, I'll quiet down. No, no issue really, because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful tone. Now, can we? As we cultivate precept, for example, can we have some of that tone? Not, you're wrong, you're right, but this is not appropriate. This is, this is beautiful. This is a little bit soiled, isn't it? This is a bit muddy. That's a bit harsh. This is, this is steady. This is respectful. This is sensitive. This is caring. That's the tone. When we cultivate respect, it's not... Oh, she's better than I am. I better be ever so quiet. Oh, he's the teacher. I better make sure I'm doing all right. No, it's not nervous respect. It's respect of. This is a place for hearts to meet hearts, and that listening, openness, receptivity to each other. It's a mutual quality. When we cultivate uh, appropriate and inappropriate, we say, "This is tangled. This is clear." This is straight, this is just generating too many other alternatives. Stay with this. We begin to relinquish. Because as a tone of simplicity is naturally enjoyable, clean, clear. These are the tones we want to encourage. They are the invitations for the angels of the heart to rise up. Because they like that. They like those atmospheres. That's where they, they really rise up in those atmospheres. Yeah. Sound poetic?
Mm. Respect also means a certain spaciousness, no pressure. This is a quality that we encourage. That we bring this, any of these, into our experience, and you find that the heart, if the heart is held in those, the body feels that and it begins to settle down. And then you can practice just bringing some of these qualities, tonalities into your, into your breathing. Breathe out with a mind that's clean and clear, steady, unhurried, no pressure, gentle, receptive. So that when things are uncomfortable, you create that atmosphere around your practice, then when the discomfortable arises, then the angel of compassion comes up. Oh, and what does she or he say? They say, oh, tell me more about that. How's that? Oh, oh. And that quality of compassion helps the intensity of the emotion to be heard, met, and drain away. Where if you say, or just shut up and get on with it. <laughs> then that's, you know, you get frog marched into blindly slugging away, but you don't, you don't, the mind, heart doesn't settle into it. So it's very important when we, we, when we cultivate meditation, we're not doing it, we're not bullying our mind into submission. You stay there. You focus on that. Otherwise, I'm going to give you hell. <laughs> no, no, it's not like that. Even though you may be able to do that for a while, but what are you actually cultivating if you do that? What kind of mind are you cultivating? Is it worth it? Do you want a mind like that? Like a security guard? Like a jailer? Is that the kind of mind you want? <laughs> Or would you mind it's maybe not exactly 100% totally on the mark all the time, but it's always got that accommodating. Okay, well, let's just, yeah, okay, let's just try and steady in there because this is more comfortable. That's enough of that. You've been there, you've done that. Let's just get back to this. And take your time and take, lengthen your attention span over the flow of a breath. Of course, it jumps off. Let's just go back again. Firm. So this act, deep attention is has to be fairly active at constantly skimming off the unnecessary, the inappropriate, the downright negative. Uh, uh, and so that skimming off process. And then what we're left with is something that's open, steady, and tonally, the tonality of it is quite beautiful. Uh, and the point of all that is that the, when the tonality is beautiful in its sense of clean, it's gentle, it's sensitive and respectful, it's void of harshness, ill will, manipulativeness, then the tonality then attracts the heart because that's the way it is. Just like we're attracted to 
to physical beauty in nature or to soft tones in a room we find ourselves settling into that when you cultivate that atmosphere for your own mind yes, your mind draws to it and settles into it it's cool but it's beautiful we linger in that this is the atmosphere of meditation deep attention is about you know, refining so that the proper tonality arises and that, that tonality is the atmosphere within which we then turn our focusing mind onto the chosen meditation object with various supports for that such as reciting mantras, making sound uh, breathing in and out tending something that could be repeated so we return to it time and time again as that is established this is the property of mindfulness then deep attention leads to mindfulness mindfulness um, is something that can, has the ability to linger whereas deep attention is often you know, quite mobile and it keeps discarding and shaping up and putting aside and turning attention referring. Mindfulness means that process has got to the point when you can actually linger. Your mind will stay there and you can then linger in that. Linger in that breath. Linger to the end of the breath. Linger in the waiting between the exhalation and the inhalation, that half second, one second, ten second pause. And you're not planning the next thing. And you're not nervous that it won't arise. You always breathe in until it's over. And you don't, there's no point worrying about that. And you're not planning the next breath. <laughs> so the lingering of mindfulness helps to cut off that jump, one of the big jumps of the mind. One of the big jumpy chaitanas or volitional tendencies of the mind which is okay and now the and now and now the next that was good but what do i do next and the next have i got it right what do i do right was i supposed to do it this way or that way what's next is it, there's no next there's only this there isn't a next there's just this but this changes it's constantly slightly changing there's no next. <laughs> you know, like you say, well, it's today and it's tomorrow. Today is this day and there's the next day. When does the next day begin? Since there is a next day, when, is, when does the next day begin? When does it begin? You say midnight. Okay, you turn the clock off. When is midnight? Can you feel that sense of that whatever day it is? I don't even know actually. Wednesday or something, that moment when the Wednesdayness, the Wednesdayness suddenly stops and there's a Thursday arise. <laughs> it's completely different. It's a called a Thursday. And it will last for exactly twenty-four hours and then pop a Friday arises. Pop. No, there's no next, it's just that nothing changes much. It's just the constant slight incremental shifts and its turn and the light begins and comes up and shifts into this stronger, brighter, then subsides into that, dark. So it's flow, you see, but 
no next. It's unbroken actually. In some respects, it's just an unbroken wave. <laughs> but once, because of the way we live, our social conditioning. Well, come on, is it Tuesday or Wednesday? Is, is it nine o'clock or half past nine? I mean, let's get clear about this. I can't. Does the sun know what time it is? Do the trees know what time it is? How am I supposed to know? And we've lost nature, and we've turned to these machines to to rule us, make life more efficient. This is the efficiency demon, subtle one. You start thinking, oh yeah, I'll do that, sounds interesting, make my life more efficient. So you buy into it, and then eventually it starts to organise you. It takes over, and it starts to push you, and pressurise you, and squeeze you to be more efficient and to fit into this time exactly. And then it starts to punish you for not being on time. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do this to ourselves. And so it becomes a habit. That when you're meditating, you can still have that sense of get it right, get on, what's next, what's happening, is this, is it this or is it that, and this is this is shall be the wits stop relax. You don't have to know that sharply because you're feeling a tone, a natural tone, like the sunrise and the sunset and shifting. Stay with it, stay with the tone, stay with the quality, and it will calm you and steady you. And you'll certainly notice that. Ooh. And when did that begin? It didn't actually begin. It just started to creep in slowly. That's about right. Hmm. So when we cultivate meditation, we're not trying to get it to be efficient, effective, get it exactly right, follow a system, follow what it says in the book, yeah. follow like a curriculum, come out with good grades, <laughs> it's a place to unseat the efficiency tyrant, the efficiency demon. The performance demon, which has got deep, deep hold on most people's hearts. You know, trying to get better and be good at and keep coming up and go faster. That's generally the process. Go faster, get more complex. And at a certain point, there's emotional breakdown or cracks start appearing in the emotional body because this is not natural, this is not nature. Yeah. And it's also the, the kind of con- real concern to get things absolutely right so you feel okay and free from blame, blaming yourself. Mm. But there's only one way to feel confident and right. Yeah. It's to say, good enough. That's as good as I could do at that time, to be honest. Good enough. That's right. You passed. <laughs> you got the grade. You're good enough. That's the mark. 
to have the confidence in anything in meditation is the ability to to get it wrong and not go into a state about it it's okay right navigation error looks like I need to turn left a little bit there or straighten a little bit there or ease a little bit there that's the way we learn if you're held within this domain of appropriate reference integrity respect and goodwill then the errors you make are pretty you know you can remedy them quite easily if you're held within a domain of intensity and harshness and brutality and rights and wrongs every mistake is a, is a punishment and eventually you don't want to do it anymore you think, oh, God, sorry I just can't meditate let me out will you <laughs> let me out of the concentration camp I'm just going to just be happy and wander in the trees good for you <laughs> so uh, you know so these attitudes have to be transformed mindfulness so deep attention mindfulness mindfulness lingered over sustained begins to ward off these what I call these demons and their 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 cohorts the ill will the craving and greed the restlessness and doubt the dullness and sleepiness you know, the worry and flurry is not appropriate. Nothing to feed on in here. It's not the right tone. No. It's not appropriate. It's not necessary. Not the right tone. Stay with this. Just stay with this. Sharpen up into the sense of the steady upright body, steady upright mind. Okay, attentive. Listen in. Listen in. Listen in. Best you can. You feel, you know getting too difficult take a breath, stretch open up just be open and see what feels about right stay but stay with the tone of it all soft clean clear, uncomplicated Now you can pick up your meditation theme again. Tune in again. This is the way we sustain our practice. And there's this mindfulness then is our guide and custodian. And that makes possible this thing steady for another quality to be to reveal, which is called uh, full knowing. Sampajano, Sampajanyo is the Pali word, directly fully knowing. You're knowing, what are you knowing? What's being fully known? These are qualities. This is the quality of steadiness. This is the quality of agitation. This is the quality of doubt. This is the quality of confidence. This is the quality of direct truthfulness. This is the quality of sensitivity. This is the quality of harshness. And they're all moving and changing. These are the qualities that are most fruitful. So it's got a certain assessing. But what it never states is, I am this, I have this, 
I've got a lot of that. There's never enough of this for me, and too much of that. I can't. It never has this eye to it, because in clear knowing, there isn't one. We can infer. I must be experienced. I am doing this, but without the inference, what's occurring in the heart are qualities. Qualities is dhammas, dhammas, qualities arising. That makes the whole experience so much more open and dispassionate. Say, so, you know, the quality of steadiness was not present today. Hmm. Oh, I wonder what that was about. Rather, I'm such a wreck, I really can't settle down. Where you get this kind of biased intention. Steady intention is quite clean, straightforward. Quality of comfort was not present today or this morning. Hmm, what's the appropriate response to that? Rather than judgment, self, I am. This makes the whole experience dispassionate and frankly much more honest and less complex and less takes the intensities out of it. It gives us, affords the heart the space to not be who I'm supposed to be, who I think I am, what I should be, and all those judgments to just relieve the mind from the pressure of self. And this is the one of the primary uh, understandings of Buddhist practice to give its own temperament to it, the deep patience. Uh, uh, and dispassion towards qualities. We're not proud, you know, we're not depressed, we're not elated, steady, because that's the most fruitful place to be. So let's take some time for direct practice.